It's Thursday, December 9th, 2021. And today we're talking about mastering enterprise network effects with Spare. Etsy for X is fundable. Good, good raises $6.5 million. Should you raise in secret? Buff finally announces $93 million US in funding. And how to take on big tech. Rumble competes with YouTube and goes public. Let's get started. First, mastering enterprise network effects with Spare. Alex, um, building consumer network effects is already really, really hard. What makes enterprise ones even harder? Well, I, I think they take longer to be proven out. And it's not as obvious from day one. And the cycles are slower. So when you're selling stuff to consumers, you know you can add them faster. You see the compounding effect of network effects faster. Enterprise, you have to get a few enterprises on there and prove it out. Just longer, longer period. But then they're more sticky, I think. Now, who's done this really well? Do you have good examples of a company that has really mastered this? Well, if we focus on Canada, I think Fair has done it really well. Uh, Fair, and I, they're not really enterprise; they're small business and enterprise. But if you want to get into a retail location, um, for with your goods, you now have to work with Fair. So, and it they're just massive. And now that you can see, just by if if you take investors clamoring to get into a company as proxy of how well network effects are working, Fair must be doing really well because it, it seems like they're raising yeah. another round every six months. Yeah, a, a dubious metric to hold yourself to, but I get it. So last week, we spoke about Spare's $18 million raise, in part due to the enterprise network effects that they're starting to see. And this week, we have Spare's founder joining us to discuss how it happened. Let's welcome Christopher, CEO and co-founder of Spare, to TechTO Quick Takes. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, where are you today? I'm in Vancouver. Yeah, I hope you're having warmer weather than we're having in Toronto. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, uh, it's the classic rainy here, which is kind yeah, of a good well, thing given yeah. the, the recent weather. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so maybe you can talk to, give us an explanation of what Spare does. And I'd love to just then double click on what network effects you see with a business like yours. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we're an enterprise SaaS <clears throat> platform. And we like to describe ourselves as, as, as a mobility operating system. So our goal is to make it super easy for anyone to get up and running with a really complex transportation system. So it's really about kind of almost think like, you know, how what Shopify has done for enabling e-commerce brands, like where our goal is to enable mobility businesses, both on the passenger side and on, also on the goods delivery side. So for founders listening to you, just can you describe what a mobility service is? Because <laughs> it, it sounds nice in concept, but let's make it more tangible. Yeah, for sure. I've been, I guess I've been in it for a while now. So uh, yeah, it, it's really around like, you know, how do we produce like good passenger transportation experiences? Uh, basically, how do we move people from A to B? Um, that could be in a number of different ways. And over over the last couple of years, this concept of uh, mobility, right? Like basically how do you move someone from A to B? It could be through, you know, a bike, it could be through a bus, it could be a taxi, ride hail, whatever. So um, your business, I guess, is very geogra geographically concentrated. So can mm -hmm. you explain to us like the motion of like when you get into a new municipality, what happens and how it, what network effects you see in that municipality? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say, um, so we operate on kind of two different buckets, both on the in the public sector and in the private sector. 
um, I guess in this in this regards, we're referring to the public sector. And yeah. what we see is is that there is kind of a geographical, almost like network effect, where where you know if you're working with some some city in one state or province or whatever it may be, like that just you know people talk to each other, right? These are not like humongous industries and like you know me and a city know if i'm a, like the transportation manager in a city i would know the transportation manager at some neighboring city so so that's really kind of where we're starting to see that and 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 uh kind of how we're rolling with it yeah and so you've seen some network effects with your customers um you've just raised now an 18 million dollar round and you've been around for a few years before, but this seemed mm-hmm. to be a very hot round. Lots of people were clamoring to get in. What changed in the last couple of years? What did you do different to, you know, get this excitement? And what has changed in generally outside the company that helped propel Spare forward? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think a, a couple of different things. As I think you guys mentioned earlier, like when you're in the enterprise space, you can't expect that things will go your way like the next day you know it takes some time to build this stuff up right so it's so it's definitely around that also the product that we're that we're working on it's a it's a very complex product it's not um it's not a simple website you know it's it has like core routing and um has like a lot of different computing power that we need to throw at this problem so, so that's a so that's a big thing. Um, but you know, obviously, a lot of things have happened in in the past, uh, say, two years when it comes to passenger transportation. We are seeing um, this consumeration of the enterprise. We're seeing kind of throughout the or the very large enterprises now, where they're going from you know on-prem solutions to cloud cloud solutions, and that's kind of where we see it. Uh, we're seeing that in the private sector. We're seeing that in the public sector. You know, one thing that was very difficult for these very large enterprises in as part of COVID nineteen was how do how do they actually have their staff working remotely when they need to come to the usually before that they've had to come to the office in order to you know operate the different programs that they needed to do to to do their job and that was just like not possible anymore. So I mean, you can probably imagine, like, you know, yeah. what happened at the federal government of like them moving their staff to the to 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 working remotely. So the cloud, the uh, moving from on-prem to cloud helped you a lot. One last yeah. question, or two last questions, actually. Um, one thing that's different when you look at your website, you have a lot of customers outside of North America, and being a Canadian company, everyone just thinks of just going down south. Why do you do it so early? So like. You have a big presence in Japan, from what I see. So, why are you so international from the start? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different reasons. We do see see this problem as like a global problem. Um, so that being one of the reasons, um, we were also pretty successful early on of getting some like key customers in different <clears throat> geographies, and and then we kind of used our geographical advantage to kind of continue expand. So, for example, you know that Japan, you know we. Yeah. Uh, Mitsubishi Corporation was one of our early customers, and obviously that was that carries some weight in the Japanese market. That kind of we just try to push forward. Um, I would say that you know we are we while we have kind of taken a, a global approach, those outside of North America is still like kind of build up stage. So while you know it may seem like really cool to like let's go global from day one, I would also say that. 
you know, as any business, you should also like have some focus of like where do you push and and where do you wait. But we've like really we've really been good at at, uh, at being able to put a lot of seeds in a lot of th- different places because. One thing that we found out, you never know when you're going to start seeing these network effects. So, so you know, we've had like, you know, one of our, one of our really weird, really good geographies has been Texas of all places, which is not uh, usually the place you think about when you think about public transportation. Yeah, so I like that analogy of playing lots of seeds and then you see where the network effect takes, starts taking hold and you just double down. Uh, exactly. Last question, and then we'll let you get back to the rainy weather. Um, <laughs> Imagine you're hiring lots of people. What positions are you trying to fill and where can they find them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so we we are uh, hiring across the board right now. Uh, yeah, we just closed our Series A here a few weeks ago. Um, and it's really going to be mostly on, on sales and marketing and on uh, product and engineering. And we're looking for people really anywhere, but at this point, we're focusing mostly on uh, kind of Vancouver and broader BC, but also in Toronto and broader Ontario. We're trying to kind of create these like kind of re- hybrid remote slash in-person experiences. Um, so so that's kind of where we're focusing. Well, I, I think lots of people should be uh, reaching out to you soon because I think there's an exciting opportunity and you're actually changing how people move around the world. So that's... Uh you can't get more of an impact christopher thanks for the time (laughs) and i look forward to speaking to you soon cool thank you so much alex i gotta ask did your conversation with christopher change the takeaways from this deal for techtio founders for you well i i think the international expansion one is something quite insightful christopher said there it's like hey you should focus on areas but there's no reason not to plant seeds take advantage of what wedges you have. I like the ability of saying, hey, Mitsubishi has a reputation in Japan, so we leverage that. And then I like I like the idea, like the analogy, we're playing lots of seeds, we're being opportunistic, and then we'll double down on where something's taking ahead. And I think, you know, it just shows the organic nature of international growth where lots of people think you can just do, go to the whiteboard, be strategic about it, put all your resources on it, and it wins. So just, uh, I love that insight um, from from the conversation. Fantastic. And for more insights from leading founders like Christopher and companies like Spare, you've got to subscribe to the TechTO newsletter. Alex, what can the community expect in tomorrow's newsletter? Well, generally before the holidays, so I think that's like tomorrow and next Friday or next week, we are going to be sharing the trends and topics you should care about as we head into the new year. We will also be announcing more 2022 events and live streams that you can mark in your calendar. Because you know you're you're gonna have to follow your news year's resolution and become more connected and more smart. And then finally, we're doing a TechTO holiday giveaway. It's live right now on all social media. So if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do through our holiday giveaway posts on our LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's a chance to win Whoa. some cool prizes. Like what? Well, you have to go check out social media. I'm not gonna give away the secrets. <laughs> like, come on. All if right. I'm promoting it, I want you to go do the work. That's awesome. I want to go check out what you can win and you can subscribe to keep up with the latest news, trends, advice, and events and prizes on our website at techtio.org slash newsletter. Next up, Etsy for X is fundable. Good, good. Raises six and a half million dollars. Alex, who participated in this round? Well, you had, interestingly, a cryptocurrency fund called BKCM lead around with Golden Ventures, Maple VC, Tet Ventures, and several angel 
investors participate, including Chris Rickett, who you might remember from hey, Digital Main Chris Street. Rickett's a friend of TechTO and a friend of the technology community here in Toronto. Hey, we should give him a task on the uh, tiny mile issue, shouldn't we? Uh, he's been quite busy with that the last two days. I'm sure he Good. loved getting that text for me. So and, and Ignacio <laughs> and Chris are copying me in every single text. I love that. And uh, we are super lucky because we've got another special guest here today to tell us more. Let's welcome Rob, the co-founder and CEO of Good Good to TechTO Quick Takes. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. So, so Rob, for people that don't know Good Good, because you're quite new, can you tell us what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Gigot is a cafe designed for the discovery of the best food and drinks from the local craft makers. Um, you can come into one of our conveniently located cafes in person or get everything delivered to you in under 60 minutes. And we're ventured back by some of the investors that you mentioned, but essentially a group of folks that are super excited about local commerce. And our team is currently working on expanding our service across Toronto in Ontario across next year, and then looking at national expansion after that. So, so this is exciting. Like, and you're a fairly new company, you know, and the seed round for Canada is still quite a large seed round. So what contributed to your ability to raise so quickly? Um, the excitement around the space um, was something that I, or the immediacy around the space is something that I pushed. Um, you know, I spent a good good amount of time in commerce in my career. And over the last five, 10 years, I got super excited about local. And when pandemic hit, you know, it, it made me uh, look closer into the small business area. But also what caught my eye was the whole craft local maker space is something like $500 billion right now. It's still growing 20% year over year. It's a massive industry um, growing really fast when you look at something like beer, craft beer, that already makes up 20, 25% of all beer consumed in North America. So it, it was a very exciting opportunity, but also I saw I saw a chance to really help these makers um, grow in in this digital first world, um, a lot of the a lot of the tools and the distribution networks that they work with are still pretty standard, or uh, I would say more traditional uh you're moving boxes literally and you're counting how many boxes you're moving as a measure of success and when i when i learned that i was like no we got to do something about that we got to help uh these folks understand who their customers are ltv some of the basic growth metrics that we talk about in startup world for a long time i want to actually enable them to speak those language and understand their business growth properly so so that, that's really interesting because you're focused on the craft space and over the last Several years have been a, like a revolution in last mile logistics. And when I think about that, I think of the dark grocery stores. I think of Jokers, um, Go Puffs of the world. How have they helped what you're doing, and, and how are you different than what they're doing? Got it. Um, they for me, they really uh, opened my eyes into. Um, the notion of the quick commerce, right? Being able to get stuff to you faster or about the same time as how, how long it would take for you to go out the door and get it. And that convenience factor was very exciting because when you look at someone like Amazon, it took them, what, good 10, 20 years to get the same day, next day delivery up and running across the US and they're making good progress in Canada as well. So that opened my eyes. But at the same time, what that, um, I, I, I say, I, I guess what that made me realize is that the space is extremely crowded. Um, everyone's going for the big CPG brand type of items. You know, you can think of your everyday goods from 
local grocer or convenience stores. And that's when I, that made me realize that, hey, this is going to be a real thing. And if I look at this, if I take a few steps, steps back and look at the market needs and where this is going, uh, some of the thesis that we got to was that, hey, like the real estate matters. Um, I know everyone's building dark stores, essentially putting uh, warehouses in every every community. And when I see that, I'm just like, okay, that's cool. It's exciting from the logistics perspective, but like, how can we make that better? Where is that going in the next 10 years? So that got us to think, hey, what matters is actually building these cafes that can act as a discovery center as well as community hub that people can get together. And it's not a it's not serving one purpose, it's serving multiple purposes. Yeah. And can you tell us what those purposes are? Yeah, absolutely. So we call them discovery centers because a lot of these goods, and we actually opened up our pop-up cafe in Spadina and Adelaide this week. So if you are around, come by. But um, one of the things that we recognize is that a lot of people know some of these products. But when you look at the number of SKUs that we have, number of items, individual items that we have, we have thousands, right? So um, what we want to enable through these hubs are, number one, enable customers to um, learn about these products. So when a customer walks in and they know about one product, we want to have a great set of, set of educator curators, our staff that can actually help them learn and discover more products that are like it or that are very complementary to that. So that's one layer using our uh, utilizing our staff to do that. And then the next one is a lot of the makers are super local. Um, they're awesome to have in our store to run events, uh, mm. to have actually uh, sessions about learning. About It doesn't even have to be about the specific product. It could be up the category. So like beer, wine are very big categories. And within that, we can dig into more or we can segment into smaller categories but we want we expect to have a lot of the makers on site and holding events so that the communities can access these things easier if you're nearby and if you can't make it that's okay we tend to make a lot of these sessions digitally accessible so that you can join over a over a live video or you can see um, all the content related to the maker and the products and the story behind them as well so I love this. This is taking advantage of a trend, but counterpositioning against it in two ways. One by going for the crafts instead of the large CPGs, and also we're actually creating experience with your your basically destinations, not trying to be, uh, you know, hidden in some warehouse, you know, in the side street. So, is there any potential risk with this or downsides to this? Um, I imagine real estate's more expensive, but other than that, is there something what that you're managing for that you you have concerns about? Um, the real estate is argue, uh, arguably more expensive, I would say, because the business model that we have are building multiple, um, I guess, multiple um, income sources from the unit economics perspective of each store. So when you think about a dark, dark, dark warehouse, only revenue source you have is deliveries. Whereas for us, we actually have coverage throughout the day, making sure the space can be utilized um, in, a, in a most efficient way. So we have coffee in the morning, we have um, lunch items in the, during the day, uh, as well as some of the alcohol in the evening, so that, so that we can make sure that the store is always full. And in between, we have all the maker selection that can actually, you know, help them out, uh, help the um, help the customers discover and enjoy some of the tastier, healthier, and more socially responsible goods, right? So I, I think that's one of the key key differentiators. Um, uh, and and I'll say 
just to follow up with that, I, I think the other thing that we are excited about that trend is when you talk about CPG brands, um, you, you have the Jokers, Pops of the world. They're doing great. They're all kind of battling each other in some of the major cities in US. Um, but at the same time, CPG, guys, CPG companies have huge top line, right? So um, the need for these smaller, or I would say smaller, smaller compared to existing groceries or Walmart type of companies um, may not be as as dire, right? Whereas when we, when we talk about local makers, Whenever we talk to them about the, some of the things that we can do and the things that we're starting to do, the level of excitement and the smile that comes to these makers' faces is just it's just amazing, right? So I love that. And you know, this is very insightful. Two last questions. One is I'll get the easy one first. If someone wants to join your team or is a maker that wants to be distributed by you, how do they reach out to you? Yeah, so the easiest way um, is our website. Early on, we reached out to a lot of them, but we're starting already starting to see folks reaching out to us. So some of the folks that are getting started are uh, reaching out to us on LinkedIn website. Um, so I would say those are the great uh, channels. What's the URL? Uh, goodgood.co. Okay, because yeah, okay. I just don't want to go. I don't know if there's anything bad in goodgood.com. Goodgood.co. Goodgood.co. Yes. And then, and then for founders or early stage teams that are inspired by you and they want to learn a company, what's the biggest takeaways you can have from your journey in starting Good Good? Like, I know you've had three other journeys before this, all relatively successful, but what what's the takeaway you could say if someone was like coming to you for advice? Just saying, hey, what have you learned in this sort of six-month journey so far? Um, I would say for me, I've done a lot of startups since when I was younger out of the basement. And I think one of my takeaways in general is always understand what you're trying to do, right? If you are trying to do exactly what Joko or GoPuff is doing and copy the business model, be clear about it and do it super, super well. Or like us, if we are saying that, hey, this is a massive macro level trend and it's going to go to a place where the retail for all matters and the relationship with your suppliers matters and actually helping them grow matters, then make sure that you make a business plan that is aligned with that and keep attacking it. I love it. Rob, thanks so much for your time. I'm going to try I'm, I'm going to try to make it down to the pop-up store over the next week. I want to f find and discover some new uh makers that I don't know about. Oh yeah, we got tons of them. Make sure to come. Cool. So, if you're a TechTO founder, Alex, what can you learn uh from Rob's experience and this fundraise? Well, I'm I want to talk about this fundraise or this opportunity here. Um and again, we sort of skate around it, you know, but like in the title, we didn't go into why we chose that title. If you look at the Joker and Go Puffs of the world, they're sort of like Amazon. They're saying, hey, we're going to take the CPGs, we're going to give them a new distribution channel, and everyone's pursuing that opportunity. And what I love here about Rob's doing is he's sort of counterpositioned and said, you know what, we're going to go for the makers because this food and drinks is uh, you know, such a huge market by serving all these new companies these smaller companies, there's a huge opportunity. And like you said, we're more important. And so it's almost like saying, seeing Amazon and saying, you know what? Etsy is a big enough category. So when you have a huge category and everyone's going after a great idea, go find the, the sub segment that's not served. And that's going to be a huge opportunity, probably better margins. So I'm excited to see what good, good does. I'm excited to discover some new foods that I, you know, and, and, uh, eat better. I love it. And I mean, if we're, if we're seeing this kind of excitement around Etsy for X, I'm sure it's not too long until we start seeing fair for X as well, which I think will be another, 
nice, uh, positive Canadian tech success story. All right, let's talk about what's happening on Friday, December 17th. It's our last Founder Friday of the year, and we're going to be joined by the team at Blockthrough and angel investor Roy Pereira. Alex, what are you excited to learn from Roy and the Blockthrough team? Well, what we're going to be going through is an operating angel's uh, experience with a founder. So we've talked with VCs, we've talked with angels, but Roy is a very active founder, not as an angel per se, but as an actual someone running a business. So seeing how the relationship and how operating angels help their investments will be very insightful and hopefully inspire people to get more operating angels in their cap table. Sure. And maybe even inspire more operating angels themselves. I love it. Yes. Next up, should you raise in secret? Buff finally announces $93 million US in funding. What does Buff do? So the best way to describe is, describe is the company's working on how to change how machines and computers communicate with one another, automating away a lot of API implementation work. So basically making it easier for getting, making APIs even easier is the way I'd put it. Now, besides the fact that it's a uh, secret, is there anything else that's notable about this fundraise? <laughs> well, you know, so first of all, they didn't, I don't think they would even announce it yesterday other than Axios broke the latest round. They've just raised a, a shit ton of money over four rounds since May, 2020. They've had done a million dollar round in May, 2020, September, they did a 3.7 million round. April did a uh, 20.7 million round, they did a 68 million round. And if you look at overall who's investing here, they are very strong venture firms from day one. You had Amplify Partners, which is out of uh, the Bay Area, focuses on AI stuff. Then you had Lightspeed Venture Partners. Then you had Addition, lead the next round. Then you had um, Lux and Tiger Global. So they've done this. In, it's, it's amazing they've been able to do this in privacy um, and get these great out investors from outside Canada. Um, I mean, amazing on investors table. on the cap table here. What's made uh, what's made Buff so popular? Well, I think. You know, most engineers like doing new stuff and implementing inf infrastructure API so they can talk to each other is a boring routine work that it's a necessary evil. So what Buff's doing is eliminating that work. And they seem to be, you know, the only thing you they they have 3,000 plus GitHub, GitHub stars. So engineers seem to like what they're working on. Um, they also said with this announcement or somewhere in Axios that they have 20 employees and they need to scale up to 150 employees to handle the demand they have for their service. So when you get rid of something that really hot, you, no one can find enough engineers, there's something they have to do to make their, their software work and they hate it. And you can eliminate that. It's a win-win-win for everyone. And it's led to an immensely popular product from, also from what I can read. Okay, so sometimes when a round isn't announced, it's a flat round, it's a down round, they're struggling. Here we've got all systems go, we've got a hot product, we've got great investors, we've got big rounds. Has the company mentioned any reason why they haven't announced these funding rounds since May 2020? Well, to quote them, they say, we've been purposely quiet about our fundraising success, reflecting our company value focusing on making an impact on the API ecosystem rather than how we are financing the journey. So they're saying, you don't even know about our financing. Just l l enjoy our product. And what do you think about that? Well, I tend to agree. Like at the end of the day, if you don't have a product that customers like, who cares about your financing journey? But well, sure, but it, that's not. But that's not why people announce it. They don't announce well, it to so, distract from a bad product, right? Well, like I, I think you look at the history of announcing and not announcing. If you go back twenty four months ago, most companies had stopped announcing fundraisers. Um. You know, if you go back 
48 months ago, everyone announced fundraisers or everyone enterprise. So if you look at go, go back, let's go back way, you know, when I had hair five years ago, um, you would, you know, if you were an enterprise SaaS business, you'd want to announce your fundraise because enterprises were worried that you'd go away tomorrow. Then as the tech ecosystem started, you know, increasing in velocity of raises and became more acceptable, you, people stopped announcing raises because a lot less was enterprise. Like in this case, they're serving developers. Um, and your biggest worry about raising, announcing an early raise is that people will just copycat. There's enough money out there. So someone say, oh, this is a good idea. We're going to, we have a great team. Let's go pursue it. So it was considered a strategic disadvantage to announcing. So about 24 months ago, most raises you read about that were seed rounds or pre-seed rounds or A rounds, then the companies were announcing it six to 12 months after the raise. Probably, and they were probably announcing it then so they can get more inbound interest in their current raise. This has all changed in the last six to 12 months. So it's kind of cyclical, but you're saying the the not just cyclical, it's just adapting to current market conditions. So yeah. what's the current market condition that you well, think they're starting to fund, they're starting to announce these raises again? So fundraising got even better over the last 24 months. The companies <laughs> went distributed. So now why you're announcing this is for employing employer branding purposes. You're trying to attract employees, say, look, get validation from outside investors and say, you, you as an employee, we're working on something exciting and our shares or our options are worth something. So why everyone's announcing recently is because they need to get more talent in the door. Makes sense. Uh, and funny enough, if you're going from 20 people to 150 people, 93 million doesn't take you that far anymore with engineering talent. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> so what's your, what's your takeaway here for TechTO founders? Should they be raising in secret? Uh, I think it depends on the case. Like, look, the you have to know why you're announcing your raise. And I think in this case, for example, let's look at this. Buff is building something for developers. They're on GitHub. They're finding it. So the developers that were excited about this as an employee probably saw the action, probably saw the product, and did inbound inquests, uh, you know, inquiries about jobs. I see this with a couple other my startups. There's one doing uh, vis uh, you know, vis vision ML for the ag ecosystem. There's like probably 50 developers that get excited about that every morning, and they've all reached out to them to see if they could work there. Yeah, but, the developers aren't reading Axios and, and yeah. keeping up to date on fundraising trends. No. So I think when you think about announcing your round, you should think what the strategic rationale for that is and then make sure that you take advantage of it and make sure the media get the right media gets attention of it, that it goes to the right sources, it's framed the right way. Because if you're trying to you could be trying to convince enterprise customers you're real, it's trying to get an employer branding, it's trying to get consumers excited. Like if you're in a consumer startup, like a dating set, set startup, you don't want to be announcing an Axios either. You want it to be announced in, I don't know, wherever kids go these days. TikTok. TikTok funding TikTok. announcement. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, no, TikTok influencer announcement. Hey, I'm joining sure. this. They just raised their big, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Now, if you want to then keep it a secret, but still share it with a community of other Canadian tech founders to celebrate together to help you achieve your goals, you got to check out the techtio.org insider membership program. Alex and I are there, of course, every day answering questions, making connections, and helping grow the community for you. Alex, have you helped an insider recently? I've talked to one recently, but uh, you know, about our startup, about Maker Kids. Tell, tell tell me a little bit more about Maker Kids. So Maker Kids used to be offline. They're online, they're digital course to learn about programming, uh, robots. Um, digital stuff and they teach empathy growing really quickly to, you know, and they're trying to raise around right now. 
I love it. And speaking of raising rounds, we should talk about a little piece of financing news that hit this week. How to take on big tech. Rumble is competing with YouTube and going public. Tell me about this news. So Rumble, uh, you know, so they just, you know, they've carved a large niche for itself by becoming known as the right wing alternative to YouTube. And so they announced this week they plan on raising $400 million by doing a merger transaction via SPAC to CF Acquisition Corp BI. And they're going to be valued at $2.1 billion USD. I mean, I'm going to ask this question, but oh my gosh, is the answer so obvious? Like, tell me all the reasons why this is interesting. <laughs> well, Rumble started eight years ago and didn't raise their first round to basically last, I think, five months ago. Um, so you know, and the size of the round versus the last one implies that growth has maintained or accelerated off a very large base. So why is this interesting? There's a company that bootstrapped for seven years. Now it's a large round and it was it's taking on YouTube as an, again, carving up a small part of YouTube. And just four or five months later is raising, is going public via SPAC and to get the funds to continue to battle against this tech giant. So, you know, again, lots of people think if you were to say last mile delivery is that one or logistics is one, I would say yes. If you were to say hosting videos on the web is is one, I'd say yes. But obviously, if you, if the markets are big enough, you can just keep on peeling away parts of it and still create massive businesses. Do we have any insights into what's driven the massive growth on a large base over the last year? Uh, conservatives thinking that YouTube uh, filters them out and and censors them, which is probably not the case, but that's the belief. So yeah. they feel like here's a, here's a network that's going to let us be ourselves. Unreal. So do you think this is the green light for Canadian founders to go head to head with Fang? Well, Should they we be taking on Facebook, Amazon, I, I, Apple, I think, Netflix, I, Google now? I think yes. I think Shopify was that green green light. And if you you haven't seen it, here's a you know here's here's your one saying to go faster. Unbelievable! I love it, Alex. What a week in Canadian tech! If you haven't already, you gotta like and subscribe to TechTO wherever you're watching or listening. And we'll see you taking on Fang on the inside.